Welcome to Southfield. Very nice. Oh, I tell you what, I'm Adam, and uh, you know, as an Eagle Scout, I've been uh, I've been working hard on that cajon. You know, it, 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 as an Eagle Scout, you got you got you got to learn how to. It's hard. It's yeah, hard. man. It's hard, Ryan. Yeah, it's and really I, I appreciate how hard you're working, man. I'm Ryan, and uh, I'm good at everything. And I. <laughs> The only thing I'm not good at is the Pocky One Chip Challenge, which is why some, for some reason, after I got sick doing that challenge, I couldn't find my Hey Dudes, and there's just no shoes to replace them, so I'm going barefoot forever, man. I, I don't know, you know, as an Eagle Scout, I've been wanting to be on worship team for a long time, but I think, uh, I think Lorelai was jealous. She kept blocking me, you know. Wanted to play the, wanted to play the dulcimer, but you know. Uh, yeah. Hey, I, you know, you keep bringing up this, yeah, yeah. this fact that you're an Eagle Scout. Are you actually like? Did you actually do that? Well, I, uh, er, uh, the, uh, uh, I, I, because I heard from a little birdie. I heard from a little birdie that that uh, there's actually some paperwork that you still need to finish. Well, so uh, am I, I'm calling stolen valor on the whole know, Eagle Scout thing. Yeah, right? my my mom will do it. <laughs> so, okay. Well, How long have you been working on that Eagle Scout thing? Like, well, let, you know, 12, as an Eagle Scout, years? what really matters is working out. Because uh, <laughs> I want to be, be strong like my dad. Yeah, well, you know what? Yeah. That Eagle Scout thing, you've been working for so long, like 12, yeah. 13 yeah. years. I think yeah. I could get that done if I started today, like, I don't know, before Christmas. And in terms of working out, like, I'm a member of the MCHS basketball oh. bench mob. So... <laughs> Not Let worthy, me tell you, man, as a member of the bench mob, I have to tell you that I, I encourage you to work out, but I don't know that you're ever going to be as strong as your dad. Maybe you'll be as strong as one of his pec muscles, but that's about oh, it, man. Well, well. That dude is yoked. Yeah, well, I don't know about you. As, as an Eagle Scout, it must be tough living in my shadow, right? How you doing down there, little yeah. guy? <laughs> Are we about done? I think we're done. Good. <laughs> What's that old saying? The church that mocks the pastor stays together? Something like that. I don't know. Anyway, that was, I'll tell you what, Friday night was just beyond phenomenal. Kids were amazing, everything else. But then these commercials start coming out. Yeah. I mean, Tom Sergis, Motel we'll 7. Lit for you. Oh, yeah. my word. You know, thing after thing. And then this one comes on, and I could not stop laughing. And I got to admit to you, I am so paranoid this morning. Yeah. I just, I can't put my hands in my pockets, but I can't put them out here. I can't, I can't do any. They've made us more self-conscious than ever, which is why I think, I, I think that now we just have to do, we have to start doing more ridiculous things so that when they mock us, they look stupid too. Like, <laughs> that was just so funny. I, you know, who thought of the line, you know, read the whole gospel? Yeah. yeah. I, well, it every happens Sunday, every week. So. It's an adventure every week. It's an I, adventure every I week. I was laughing so hard. So when they showed that on Friday night, I was laughing so hard that I didn't hear. <laughs> no, Misty, that's not for you. Yeah, that's that for was the good students. too. That was oh, good too. so many little pieces. Just yeah. wonderful. So if you didn't get to be here on Friday, here I am. <laughs> if you didn't get to be here on Friday night, uh, we highly encourage you go to the YouTube page and watch it because the kids did a phenomenal they did. job. They did sharing the gospel message. There were a lot of long lines. Yeah, and yeah. they—I mean—they had a master. Yeah, it yeah. was awesome. Yeah, and delivered it with with 
utter clarity. There was so much, I mean, so many different people were involved uh, in terms of like the, the actual commercials and things like that, but the, the message was super clear. It was really funny, well-balanced, everything. So please, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, we're not doing it here this morning. Go to YouTube on our Southfield channel and watch it. Wow, really, it was a great way to kick off the Christmas yeah. season. Yeah. And on top of that, all the you know the decorating that's been done. And I got a, I got a call um, uh, late in the week from John Dobson, heads of landscaping company. He said, you know, I'd, I'd like to bring some of my guys out and just clean up before yeah. Friday night. There were there were so many people that were involved in so many ways. I know it's making me crazy. <laughs> cut them off, yeah, please. Just, just cut them off. <laughs> oh man. Woo! All right. All right. Oh, man, I'm not going to be able to sleep. So, a couple other things. We already heard Christmas is happening. Yeah. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, 11 o'clock both days. Come to whichever. Come to both. Uh, we'd love to celebrate Christmas with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's going on with students? <laughs> well, you know, same old, same old. No. Uh, this evening, we are back. We took it's a, a fine flannel shirt. By I now. know, right? Yeah. Fine. Especially over my Illinois college. Yes. Sweatshirt. yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, we are, we're back tonight, so we took a week break for both groups. Refuge came back this past Wednesday, Revive comes back tonight, so six to eight with the high schoolers for the next three weeks. Refuge has two more before we take a, a Christmas break, and just to dispel rumors, we, I'm still going to, like, I'll be around. We're not, I had, I've had people asking, like, are you taking off until March? No, no, I'll be around. And uh, yeah, so now that Riley's in the room, like she can tell me if I'm wrong about that. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to keep things going. So don't, don't panic. We're not going to cancel like a month of group just because there's going to be another little pap in the picture, right? Very good. I, I got a request that I make of you pretty much every year. For some of you, you make up a, a great Christmas card with your, with your family picture on it. This is actually, this was left in our mailbox by our neighbors. And I love to use these as my prayer cards throughout the year. So uh, you don't have to send me one. Just bring it to church, and I'd love to be able to use that as a way of continuing to pray for you. So uh, we're, we're in Advent. I love this time of year. love being able to celebrate the birth of Christ. And i got to be honest, I'm, I'm following about four different Advent plans this year. An Advent addict. All kinds of different things. But, but I've really loved uh, what they're doing in Dwell. And, and again, each day you have uh, four different passages of Scripture that you're listening to. What I've found is kind of an adventure of it is to listen and wonder, so where are they going to go with the topic? And today they're talking about the root, the, the tree of Jesse, all those sorts of things as you're reading. And this particular reading is called uh, The Hidden Life. It says, in everything, whether it is a thing sensed or a thing known, God himself is hidden within. So, I would love for you to read everything on my iPod, please. <laughs> iPad. Go ahead. Yeah, and I'm glad that I... I wasn't going to wear my glasses today, but I was like, if I'm mocking Ryan, I have to wear his Clark Kent. That's the uh, only thing he was going Anyway. <laughs> okay. Stumps are surprising. They often preserve strong and lively roots, but they do it in secret. The tree survives underground, but there's nothing above. It's still holding on, but not freely waving branches to the sun and the air. This is something like Israel under Roman occupation just before the birth of Christ, holding on to the gift of the law, traditions, and identity, but not free, not at liberty to flourish. Sickness, sin, and political dysfunction, tyrannies both small and large, keep God's people suppressed. That doesn't mean that they don't struggle to be faithful and live good lives, but what about God's promise of a great nation, of a true liberty? Surely there's more. 
What about the promise to be a blessing to all? The unbroken reign of a perfect peace and justice? Where is that? At times in their history, God's people have been so worn down, such a thin shadow of what they're meant to be, that when their prophets see the truth through the veneer of doing okay, they only see the stump. But they also see the tree. Electric green, small at first, shocking against the gray and brown, a tender curl unfolds against the hardened wood. The new shoot is part of the stump, proof of its profound life, and yet it is also something new, unlooked for, a harbinger of the future. The reign of peace promised by God will begin suddenly, surprisingly, as a little sprig. What is most promising in God's eyes often begins not with strategies, careful preservation of what we've known, or holding with gritted teeth, but instead with tenderness and vulnerability. The shoot of Jesse is a sign of a whole new age of life for God's family tree. This will truly be God's work. And as we see in Isaiah and hear from John, it will reveal God's dearest will for them all and for us. And then we'll go ahead and read the uh, reflective practice. Has Jesus ever surprised you? Hmm. Have you ever asked him to surprise you or to just let him? What would that surprise look like? And how might you search for it? Jot down some ideas. Is it a change in your prayer practice? Visiting a worship tradition that you're not familiar with? Seeing how various artists have depicted Jesus? Maybe reading a whole gospel in a single sitting? That's really in there. <laughs> Bless someone today with a surprise gift, a surprise favor, or a surprise word. Ask the Lord to surprise you this Advent. What a great approach as we, as we move toward Christmas. God, how will you surprise me with your son? How will you surprise me in my relationship with your son? We're going to approach communion this morning with incredible simplicity, listening to and then ultimately singing together away in a manger. And during the music, you can move to one of the stations around the room, two in the front, two in the back, gluten-free on the sides of the platform. As you do, take some time to reflect, to repent of sin, and then just ask God, how will you surprise me this Advent? How will you surprise me through your Son? Father, we worship you today. We thank you for communion. We thank you that your Son was present in this world and that we have the memory of that presence through bread and cup. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If a group of human minds had been assembled to decide the best way to introduce the king of the universe to the world, I'm sure it would look nothing like the ingenious method you used, God our Father. We would, we would have a being bigger than life, boisterous, loud, and maybe even a little bit frightful to come and command the world. And you say, I have a better idea. How about an infant? How about a, a helpless, defenseless infant to display my power and majesty? And again this December, as we, as we reflect on the, that truth, I, I pray that we would be struck anew with the humility of the birth of Jesus.
with the simplicity of the birth of Jesus, that He came to be one of us, yet without sin, so that we could follow Him as an example, so that we could admire Him as a teacher, but most importantly, so that we could embrace Him as our God. Thank you so much for your tremendous love for us and showing it to us through Jesus. Amen. How's your Christmas decorating looking? You in good shape? Everything all ready to go? You got it all out? We have a, a habit around our house, basically. We, we pull out our Christmas decorations when we can, pretty much the day after Thanksgiving. Um, the elements of our decorating have simplified a little bit through the years. We don't put out quite as many things. There are some things that stay in the attic these days. But we put up this same tree. It's a tree that we bought at Allsup Nursery a million years ago. Uh, I do the assembling, figuring out where all the branches go, and then put on the lights. And then Shelly and Kim get involved in covering our, our fake Douglas fir with a wide variety of ornaments that we've collected through the years. And while they do that, I head outside to the porch and put some lights on the rail, and I, and I pull out our, our little lit snowman that we bought at Menards about a million years ago. We have decorations that have come and gone through the years, we had three little mini trees. They're actually out by the stable this morning, and they were often set up in our dining room along with a, a book, The Three Trees, that, that we loved listening to Kim's dad read uh, to the kids and reminding them uh, of the birth and the life and death of Jesus. Uh, we have one that, that has stayed near our fireplace until recently because our fireplace gets a little bit too hot, and this is getting a little bit old. But this was a sled that I was given as a child, um, it's actually got my initials on the back, and we go ahead and prop that up there. I'm, I'm really kind of excited about a, a year from now to bundle up a little, a little kid and give him a pull or her a pull around the, uh, around the neighborhood, as well as eventual siblings, lots of siblings, and, 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 and cousins. So we're going to have a good time with this. The thing that's unique and, and really I love about this is that uh, this sled was made at a, a factory in my hometown. Uh, the factory's name was Auto Wheel Coaster, and it was just a few houses away from where my, my grandma and grandma lived, grandma and grandpa lived. And so, you know, we'd come around the corner on Shang Street, and there would be this, this old wooden factory. And then one day, it was uh, May, Memorial Day, 1972, that thing just lit on fire. Never seen a fire like it. It actually took out seven houses in the area. And we stood on my grandma and grandpa's front lawn, and you could feel the intensity, the heat of the blaze as we squirt water on their house, hoping that, that it would not go up too. It's just a, it's a fun memory, one of, one of many that, that we have along the way. Again, decorations that have come and decorations that we don't use quite as much as we used to anymore. But of all the decorations that we have, we have one non-negotiable. You've got to pull out the nativity set got to pull out the nativity set. For us, it's a nativity set that belonged to Kim's great aunt and uncle, Kate and Jack. Growing up, I was the one that got to pull out our family nativity set. It was stored away every year the same way. Each figure was individually wrapped in newspaper and placed inside of a barn that my dad had built himself. And there was a little bag of decorative straw that was put in that as well. And it was all put in a large plastic bag and stored downstairs in our fruit cellar. And it came out every November and we saw it all December long. The nativity set had all the essentials. We had Mary and Joseph. It had a small manger. 
and a removable Jesus that we'd wait until December 25th, until his birthday, to go ahead and put in that particular manger. Uh, we had three wise men that looked like a poster for the United Nations. One was British, one was Ethiopian, and one was from the Orient. They had two camels. I don't know who had to walk. One stood, the other was kneeling. We had shepherds, and we had these cute little sheep that just would not stay standing. You had to walk through the living room very gently during the Christmas season, or a sheep was sure to fall. And there was a sheepdog as well. As the years went by, my mom got in the habit of adding figures. So one year out of the clear blue, I'm looking at the nativity set, and there's a bagpiper. <laughs> I'm kind of searching Luke. I'm going, I don't see the bagpiper, but Grant's department store in North Tonawanda had a bagpiper, and my mom liked it. I actually talked about this one time, it must have been at least 15 years ago, and Mark Weber, who was at our church at the time, lives in Bloomington now, was actually able to buy me a bagpiper. So now I have my, my very own bagpiper to go along with our nativity. Thanks so much, Mark. Of all the figures, there were, there were three others, and they were angels. One of the angels was, was dressed in blue and, and just absolutely majestic, stood tall, with a, with, a, with, a, with a somber, regal face, hands outstretched. And that one went right behind the manger, as if to say, here's your king. Then we had another one. This one, I always kind of tried to imitate it. It, it stood in the most distorted, contorted way possible. Kind of this, I can't, you know, <laughs> wings on out there, in the corner, in the corner of the barn, just standing there. But, but when you looked at the face of the angel, what you saw in that angel's face was adoration. That angel was there to worship the newborn king. And then my favorite of all, I can't say my favorite of the entire nativity because, of course, Jesus is my favorite. But second favorite, of course, is our angel Gloria. We called her Gloria. She had a little, she had a little hook in her back, and we would hang her right at the tip of the barn, very top of the barn. And Gloria would look down on the whole scene. In fact, I, I brought a Gloria along today. Part of the reason we named her Gloria is because she held a banner, and it said Gloria, so that was her name. <laughs> and what was she saying? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all people. Angels, angels. Angels play an essential role in the birth of Christ, as well as the overall story of redemption. And so it seems fitting this Advent season to study an important area of theology. It's called angelology. Why study angels? Well, first, I believe we should be curious about every area of doctrine. Angels, as I said, play a pivotal role in the history of salvation and in human history overall, for that matter. Another reason is that there is so much confusion about the role of angels. Hate to break it to you, there is not a verse in the Bible that says every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Sorry, Clarence. Sorry, George Bailey. Sorry, little Zuzu. We're going to take, take a full week just to look at the myths and misunderstandings that so many people have about angels. Let me give you another reason to study them. We can learn from angels. We can learn how to be better human beings created in the image of God by looking at angels. We learn worship from them and how to worship in the presence of God. We can learn how to carry out God's instructions with unquestioning obedience. We can learn about disobedience as well because some of them fell. 
We can learn about how to be curious. And we can learn how to proclaim the truth. So today we're just going to start with a bunch of basics. First, this is, this is really vital. Angels are created beings. God made the angels. They are not deity. They are not God. They're not equal to God. They're not even God-like. Human beings are created in the image of God. Angels are not. They are not. Being created in the image of God is unique to humanity. Angels are not humans, and this is important. Humans will never become angels. We don't die and become angels. You may wonder when they were created. It's a great question. All I can say is sometime before us. Sometime before creation, God made the angels. In fact, you got to think about this. When God created the earth, he created the earth with time. Time was not before the earth. And so some period, some time before all of this happened, he creates angels. I can say that with confidence. When we look at scripture, you may remember in the book of Job that, that God is issuing some challenges to Job. And here's what he says to him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions? Who stretched out its surveying line? What supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. The angels are there observing creation. They're seeing all of this. And they're, they're glorifying God and praising God as they watch all of creation come together. They're present at creation. So we know they're created prior to creation. They're not part of creation, yet they are created beings. And while they are not God or even God-like, that is, they're not created in the image of God, they do have the capacity of free will. They have the ability to say yes or no to the commands of God. They can obey and they can rebel. And this is another difference between us and the angels. Our rebellion led to a plan of salvation. It led to the possibility of redemption. For angels, their rebellion is not a state from which they can be redeemed. Once they are fallen, they are fallen. There is no grace offered to an angel. God created these angels to serve the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. After a long chapter discussing the superiority of Jesus over the angels, the author of the book of Hebrews writes these words, Are they angels? Not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The Bible says that the angels, part of their role in the world is actually to serve those who will inherit salvation, those who are Christ followers, ministering spirits, ministering to those who will inherit salvation. So let me back up a bit. Let's look at the word itself. Let's look at the word angel. This is one of those cases where the name reveals something of the nature and the function of the being. The Greek word for angel is, is angelos. And even if you don't know Greek, you can see there, there's, there's, a, there's an alpha there and then there are two gammas. So gamma is G. You might look at that and go, shouldn't it be agagagagos? No. When you have two gammas together, it makes the ng sound, the ng sound. And so we get angelos from that particular spelling. Uh, pretty, inc pretty incredible beings. We have these, these, these beings that are, that are um, messengers of God. When Jesus is, is trying to help us to understand something about angels... 
and he's using this word. We look at the word, and a piece of what we see is that the ending is O-S. The O-S is a masculine ending in Greek. So while they're portrayed, as, they're, they're portrayed as male in the Bible, and having said that, they're not sexual beings. They don't procreate. They don't marry. Procreation is not an issue for them. For best we can tell, they never die. When Jesus is answering a tricky question about life after the resurrection, especially for this person who's used in this example of somebody who had been married many, many times, he offers this insight. He says, for in the resurrection, they, the angels, or the people, will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So they never marry. They never procreate. In Hebrew, the Old Testament language, the name for an angel is malach, or malach, if you want to say it that way. And in both, it means the exact same thing. The word simply means messenger. This is their primary role. They are messengers of God. They, they listen to what God has to say, and they deliver the message of God. The role of angelos, of malach, of angel, is to communicate the wishes of the king. That is what they do. In the name angel, we learn so much about their being. They are obedient carriers of the message of God, sharing the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. As we start to trace angels in the Bible, guess what? They're almost always delivering a message, almost every time. They do not come to express their own ideas or their own opinions. They do not customize the message or give their own thoughts. They use the classic line, thus saith the Lord. This is what God of heaven has to say to you. Remember I said we can learn a lot from the angels. Like the angels, when it comes to declaring truth, it is not our job to create, craft, or customize God's message of truth. We just deliver it. We deliver it in love. When at our best, we are telling loving truth, the whole loving truth, and nothing but the truth lovingly to others. To convey anything other than the truth is an act of hatred. It is not loving to tell a person a lie. So let's look at angels in action. Do you remember, can you recall in your mind the first time an angel spoke to somebody in the Bible, the first time they delivered a verbal message? It's actually found in Genesis chapter 16. To a woman named Hagar. Hagar is having a struggle with her mistress, with her master, Sarah. After becoming pregnant with Sarah's husband's child, after being given permission by Sarah to have that child and the blessing to have that child, uh, there's a conflict now that she's pregnant. And we read in, in Genesis chapter 16 that the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you're going to bear a son, you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then she describes what Ishmael is going to be like. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. This guy's name should be Conflict. Conflict, conflict, conflict. And he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. The message from the angel technically the message from God, delivered by the angel, is clear. It's specific. It's futuristic. And it is drenched with hope. 
The next appearance of these heavenly beings is found just two chapters later in Genesis chapter 18. This time, the conversation is with our father Abraham. Ishmael is born, but the, but the son of promise, Isaac, is still not in Abraham's arms. It's interesting because this time, as the angels are talked about, it's simply described as, as three men, as three travelers. And this is really instructive. Angels do not always appear with flashes of light and with wings and halos and swords drawn or trumpets. This time it just looks like three guys walking along the road. Genesis 18.1 says, and the, angel appeared to him, or, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Now, the Bible says that he actually made a meal for them, and they ate, which is instructive. These spiritual beings, when, when they take on human form, are actually able to partake of food. And in their conversation, we realize that they have full awareness of what's going on in the life of Abraham, full awareness of what's going on in the life of Sarah. We have this interaction where, where it says, the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, I'm going to come back a year from now, and you're going to have a child, and you have Sarah inside, and she, she hears this, and she giggles, and the angel inside, outside says, why are you giggling? And she says, I didn't giggle. And he's like, well, yes, you did. A year from now, I'm going to come, and you're going to go ahead and, and have this child. They predict the birth of Isaac, when he returns a year from now, she giggles, they catch her, she lies, and they deliver a message that she really needs to hear. Is anything too hard for the Lord? How often do we need to hear that exact same message? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We need to hear that message again and again and again. What becomes clear as the message unfolds is that these three men, this, this group of three, one of them is not like the other. We have in this passage what's known as a, a theophany or a Christophany. And we, we'll see references in times in the Old Testament to something called the angel of the Lord. Not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. The angel of Jehovah, the angel of Yahweh. And when that happens in the Old Testament, it's an appearance of Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. This is prior to him being born as a baby in Bethlehem. He's not an angel, but he's referred to as an angel. He's, he's a superior heavenly being. Obviously, he's the God of heaven. And we're going to dig into that more in weeks to come. Now, it turns out that the main purpose of this encounter is, has not even been yet revealed. The main message of these three travelers is for a wicked pair of cities. As Abraham, as Abraham walks with them, they reveal why they've come to earth. Genesis chapter 18 says, Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. They've come to deliver a message to the degenerate cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their, their perversion of God's creation design of one man, one woman, in lifelong covenant bond of marriage had been distorted to simply a selfish satisfaction of sexual desire whenever and with whomever they might desire. Whether violent or mutual, they decided to create their own rules, follow their own distorted passions. By engaging in sexual activity with the same sex, they had fallen to a craven low. And their society had degraded to violent selfishness. 
Chapter 18 ends with Abraham pleading for the cities. Please don't do this. And he goes on this count of coming down to, is there just a handful that remains? And if there are, will you be merciful to them? In chapter 19, the message is delivered by Lot, to Lot, by the angels. Get out and don't look back. By the way, as chapter 19 begins, we no longer have a company of three, just two. And when chapter 19 starts, they're referred to as angels. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gates of Sodom. I want to look at two other messages delivered by angels in the Old Testament. By the way, uh, that word angel is found in the Bible no less than 300 times from Genesis to Revelation. And it's interesting, their existence is never defended. It's simply assumed. It's like, of course there are angels. We all know that, don't we? Daniel has multiple interactions with angels throughout his time on earth. In fact, in chapters 8 and 9, he's, he has interactions with one of only a few named angels in the Bible. He has an interaction with Gabriel. My grandpa Pap is named Gabriel. The other, the other angel is named Michael that we hear about often, the archangel. And technically, Lucifer, Satan, is an angel as well. He's a fallen angel. And we have one other that's referred to in the, in the book of Revelation that we'll look at later. Very few are named. I think they have names, but we don't know their names. Their identity is not as important as the message they carry and the one for whom they're on a mission. That's what matters. The king of the universe matters. God himself matters. In chapter 8, Daniel has a strange vision. And Gabriel is sent with an interpretation. I want you to see these verses. It fills us in on some of the nature of angels. Chapter 8, verse 15 says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the, of the Eula. This is a river. And he called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Two things to notice here. Again, the angel looks a lot like a human being. Doesn't come in a way that he goes, this is a different being than us. It looks like a human being, looks like a man. But there's something about the presence of this being that's frightening, that's terrifying, that causes him, that causes him fear inside. In fact, one of the most common angelic messages is two words, fear not, don't be afraid. In chapter 9, Daniel is praying for his people, and Gabriel delivers a message by way of vision. Gabriel is named, by the way, four times in the Bible. Two, two of these uh, interactions come with Daniel. One with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and the other to Mary. The last two are birth announcements. Chapters 9 and 10 reveal some, some hidden, interesting things about angels. We read, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people to Israel, of the people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the Holy for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. Or in other words, you prayed, and an answer is now coming by way of the angel, by way of Gabriel, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Again, it seems like Daniel's talking to a man. He's carrying an answer to prayer. And he came, it says, in swift flight. He came, he came with speed, with haste. And we'll talk about wings in a couple weeks. And so as we do, remember that phrase. Now chapter 10. This, this is the one I think I find most intriguing. Again, Daniel is praying. He's praying and he's fasting. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So he's involved in three weeks, 21 days of intense prayer. It says, I ate no delicacies, ate no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself. It's a way of saying, no showering. For three whole weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. And I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a man. And again, he gives us this appearance. Looks like a man. But he, but he gives us then much more detail. Really, really glorious detail. He says, I looked up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from, Ufa, from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleaming of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. It was like a crowd was speaking. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The men who were with me couldn't see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Note here, not only the brilliant appearance of the angel, but the fact that he couldn't be be seen by anyone else. And yet he could be sensed. They could sense that there was something fearful present. And they ran away. It evoked fear. Now, you got to keep going. This, This really gets fascinating. It says, behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. 21 days ago, you prayed, and the prayer came to heaven. 21 days ago, you prayed, and your prayer arrived at heaven. He goes on to speak. Begin at verse 13. It says, You humbled yourself, you prayed, you were praying, your words came to heaven. But the the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. For 21 days, I was blocked from delivering the message. For 21 days, the prince of Persia Persia withstood me, wrestled with me. I couldn't get away. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. 
for I was left there, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is about to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision of what you're about to see is yet to come. This is fascinating. The answer to Daniel's prayer is delivered by messenger, by Malak, by Angelos, by angel. Yet the process of delivery, in the process of delivery, we get insight into the reality and nature of, of spiritual warfare. A demonic force he identifies as the prince of Persia wrestled with him for 21 days, stopped him from bringing the answer for 21 days. And it is only when the superior angel, the archangel Michael, came to help that he was able to be loosed and bring the message to Daniel. Does it make you wonder if the answers to our prayers at time get entangled in spiritual warfare? Another thing to note, Michael is referred to as the, the chief prince, one of the chief princes. In other parts of Scripture, he's called the archangel. Angels have rank. There is an order of command and submission found in the angelic hosts. We are so phobic about rank these days. We're, we fear so much being used or abused that we resist anything that looks like structured order. Do you realize there is structured order in the Godhead? The Father is supreme. The Son submits to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. It's a beautiful picture of who God is. When we resist order in our relationships, like in our marriage relationships, for example, we're actually flattening out part of the beauty of God's creation, the creation of the image of God within us. Is it no wonder that the evil one would fill our minds with the desire for an ideal that is anti-God? We've seen four examples where angels delivered verbal messages. And I could give you many, many, many more examples of verbal messages. But here's the thing. Sometimes angels deliver a message from God, fulfilling the meaning of their name, and they don't use words. Yet a message is delivered. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. We have, we have in this particular event, Adam and Eve have been driven from the garden, and, and God places a cherubim, God places an angel there with a flaming sword at the gate of the garden to guard the tree of life. Without a word, he's saying, do not enter. Do not touch the tree of life. You're not permitted to come back into the garden. In 1 Kings chapter 19, an angel delivers a message to Elijah. It's a, it's a message of hope. It's a message of sustaining him. Elijah's gone through a spiritual battle with, with the prophets of Baal, and any one of us would call it a huge spiritual victory. Fire comes down from heaven, that's a huge spiritual victory. And a chapter later, he's running for his life and he wants to die. And he falls down and he falls asleep. And the Bible tells us an angel came and tapped him and said, wake up, I made you some food, I made you some cake. And then he falls back to sleep and the angel says, get up and eat a little bit more. Delivering a message of hope Delivering a message that says, I want to sustain you. I want to, I want to bring you help and hope. And, and he's not the only one for whom that happened. You may remember in Matthew chapter 4, after the temptation of Jesus, it says the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Without words, they took care of our Lord. 
Then there are times that while, while words are being used, they're not being directed to us, but the message is quite clear. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Above him stood seraphim, a kind of angel that we'll look at next week. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they could fly. And they called out to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Messages are given here, verbal message, not to us but to show us what worship looks like so that we can see what it looks like to, to adore God. But we even get a message in the wings with two eyes, they're covering their eyes as if to say we cannot look on the holiness of God. With two, they're covering their feet in absolute humility and with two, they're doing whatever God desires, giving us pictures of worshiping in humility, realizing that God is holy and God is just. The passage goes on and we read that he realizes that he is absolutely sinful and an angel goes and takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips and lets him know of the forgiveness of God. Revelation 4.8, one of the great angelic scenes at the end of the Bible and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, they're full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Repeating worship again and again, delivering to us a message. Angels are messengers. They're creating beings. They're not gods. They are, they're unique from human beings. Angels do not become humans, and humans never become angels. The lesson we learn from them today is, uh, in the words of Adam, simple. We too are messengers. We carry the message of the gospel. We carry the message of biblical truth. And, and we have to ask ourselves, in light of seeing these angelic appearances in the Bible, how faithful are we to declaring the message, to delivering the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and declaring it in love and declaring it because of love? You know why I think so many of us flinch in the face of declaring the truth to others? Deep down, we wonder what other people will think of us. An angel never cared what people would think of the angel. They only cared what people would think of the originator of the message. It is not our message. We're just messengers, just like the angels. Our life is about pointing to the originator of the message. We are called to deliver the truth. Not my truth, not our truth, not your truth, God's truth. The truth points to him because, as Jesus says, he literally is the truth. Christmas provides a unique season to declare the truth of Jesus. May we be like, uh, like my friend Gloria, letting everybody know this season. I know a baby that could change your life, and his name is Jesus. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, I pray that as we learn about the angels, we might learn from the angels, knowing that we will never be an angel, but that these spiritual beings can teach us an awful lot about what it means to be a faithful messenger. And I pray that as you bring opportunities in our life this week where truth needs to be spoken, that we would not wince or flinch, 
but in a spirit of absolute love, we would be willing to speak the truth, just like the angels did. I thank you so much for revealing things to us that we would never have known apart from you telling us. We wouldn't know about these beings apart from you telling us. Thank you for the way you reveal yourself and all the aspects of your creation to us. Let that be a piece uh, of what we walk with this Advent in adoration, that we have a God who is a revealer, a revealer of messengers, and we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you need prayer this morning, right down here on the side. Somebody be waiting to pray with you, and we hope you enjoy your week.